Trinity Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it is 4th of July weekend, and uh, because of that, we've got a three-day weekend here, right? And with this three-day weekend, you uh, may have, maybe you may be traveling yourself to go visit some friends, or you may have some friends who are traveling to visit you. Um, and uh, that's the case for me. I had uh, my best friend traveled into town uh, this weekend for, for us to spend some time together. I mean, it, it, was, it was so exciting. My best friend's going to be here. Um, you know, this is it's just an awesome guy. Uh, I'd love for you all uh, to, to get to meet him and to spend time with him. But he's coming in town this weekend. And, and, and as such, he let me know, hey, hey Friday night, uh, let's get together. Maybe we'll grab some dinner. Um, we'll, we'll catch up. And I, I thought, man, that, that sounds like a good idea. But then when I really started looking at things, you know, there was this, this NBA lockout that happened on Thursday night at midnight. And I, I really needed to catch up on some blog reading and some, some uh, television broadcast to really figure that thing out. And so I just didn't really have uh, the opportunity to do that. And he said, hey, well, I understand. You know, you're busy. You got a lot going on. Maybe we could just connect on Saturday, Saturday morning. I thought, well, that's a good idea. And I thought, wait a minute, Wimbledon is on Saturday, and, and uh, we're really going to want to follow that, and that might you know, go on. There's the, there's the women's final, then the doubles, and I don't know how it's going to work out in the time, and so I don't really know for sure. And then as, as time was going on, and I, I put him off these two times, I thought, you know, I, I really probably ought to um, just connect with him and, and tell him that I'm sorry, that I missed him. And as a matter of fact, there's been a number of things that I've done over the years that have really offended uh, him. And I thought maybe I should get together and just sit down and just come clean with him. But you know what? It's been a long time. Uh, maybe you've been in a situation like that. It's been a long time. It just might be a little awkward at this point to sit down and do that. And so uh, I never actually did that. As a matter of fact, I can't even find his number anymore uh, to get in touch with him. Um, but I mean, he's been my best, my best friend, my best friend. And, you know, I, I, I should tell you that how we became best friends. He actually saved my life back at summer camp. Um, you know, I, and I've got, I've got pictures. We're in the same frame in these pictures, and it's just it's so great, the experiences that we had together and, and all this stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not even totally sure what he's up to now. Um, he's asked me to do a bunch of things for him over the years, uh, and I really haven't done any of them. Um, but he's my best friend. You know, as you hear that story, uh, maybe you caught on quickly or maybe you caught on late, but uh, I really didn't have a best friend that came in town this weekend. But if I did, let me ask you, how well do you think I know this guy? What would be the state of the relationship with my best friend? How much intimacy would we have if I didn't make time for him, never did anything he asked me to do, never apologized when I had offended him, um, any of those things. What, what would be the state of our relationship? It would be pretty rough, right? And you'd be thinking, why does he keep telling me that that guy is his best friend? Is he just trying to delude himself? Like he, he just really wants to believe that he has a best friend, and so he's telling us that because he's just trying to do some internal medicine on himself? Or is he just trying to delude us? Is he just doing that because he wants all of, all of us to think that 
he's got a better friend than he does. Those would be the options, right? I mean, obviously, my relationship is not as strong as I was letting on. You know, I I go through that example today because I I think that it, it provides a very interesting snapshot to compare with our relationship with God. You know, if if we are here today and we call ourselves Christians, then at some point in time in the past, we entered into a relationship with God. But but as we we sit here today, the, the question is, how good is that relationship really? How intimate is our relationship and our fellowship with God? Is it going really great or is it not? Or or is it growing great in terms of what everybody else thinks? Is it growing great in what we think, or is it really going great? Are we, are we making time to spend with God? Are we doing the things that He's asking of us? Are we going to Him and confessing when we've sinned? Are, are those things a part of it, or do we just merely talk about having a relationship? You know, I... Over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through a study on the book of 1 John that I've entitled, In the Light. And this section of Scripture, the book of 1 John, is some of the most challenging things in God's Word that I've read in a long time. And I'm excited for us to dig in and unpack them. But part of what makes the words of 1 John so challenging to me is that John begins his epistle, he begins this letter that he writes to people who were in churches that he was pastoring. And he he writes them this letter. And he says, I used to spend time physically with Jesus. I hung out with him. I saw him. I touched him. We had meals together. I heard things that he taught. And as I sit here now, John says, I want you to know that nothing would make me happier than for you to have the same kind of intimate fellowship and relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ that I have. And I want you to know that it's possible. That's what John would say to us. And then he goes on to write this letter of 1 John that gives various descriptions, various encouragements for how that deep and intimate level relationship with God actually works. And so if you're here today and you want to have a closer, more intimate relationship with the Lord, then you need to read 1 John. If you want to grow in your your experience of God's love and the intimacy that you feel in your relationship with Him, then this is the book for you. It's challenged me. My hope is that it will challenge you as well over the next several weeks. And we're going to look at it today as we begin this series on 1 John. Today we're going to look at uh, a, a section of verses from Chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 6. And in those uh, few verses, we're going to move quickly through them today. But as we do, we're going to see four contrasts. Four contrasts that help us to understand what real fellowship with the Lord looks like. Real intimate fellowship. Not something that deludes ourselves, not something that deludes those around us, but a real relationship, a real intimate relationship with God. What does it look like? There's four contrasts that help describe it for us in 1 John, beginning in verse, chapter 1, verse 5. And the first of those contrasts that we'll see is this. Fellowship is found in light, not darkness. Fellowship is found in light, 
not darkness. We see this in verses 5 to 7 of chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you. In other words, this is something that I heard Jesus say. We have no record of what he's getting ready to say as an actual quote from Jesus in the Gospels. But John's saying, I'm going to give you some director's cut footage of my time with the Savior. Here it comes. This is what Jesus taught. He says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Literally, we have fellowship with God, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, he begins this section telling us that real fellowship with God is found in the light and not darkness. Well, what does that mean? What is this metaphor of light really about? Well, John talks about light because light is actually an Old Testament metaphor. Throughout the book of Isaiah, even all the way back in the book of Genesis in places, light is something that is used to describe God and in, in His direction. It, it, it refers to God's purity. It refers to His holiness. It refers to His righteousness. And when we talk about it as light, we're talking about that holiness, that purity, that righteousness being revealed in this dark world. We talk about God's light, it's His righteousness revealed in our time. And when John writes this, what he's telling us is that if we are to have intimate relationship with God, we're to have a relationship with God that, that is deep and substantive, that is growing and dynamic, that that relationship will have in his light and not in darkness. Darkness here is a metaphor not for God's righteousness, not for his purity, not for his holiness, but darkness refers to our sinfulness. If we were to have a relationship with God, it will happen in his light, not in our darkness. Now, now how might we uh, put that into a picture to maybe help us understand this. Well, let's imagine for a moment that all of the power in Norman were to go out, all the power. Now, you know, in, in recent days, this is not a hard stretch for us to think about, right? Let's imagine that, that the, all the power in all of Norman goes out, and let's say it is, it is the middle of the night, and it is really dark outside. I mean, no stars, no moon, dark. Um, but somehow... Uh, over at OU, they were able to connect through generator power the lights to the football stadium, and they were to turn those on. And so that when you went outside of your house in Norman, it might be dark everywhere, but you see light in the distance. It's the only place where there is light. Well, if you are to have uh, fellowship and, and relationship with anybody, anybody, where are you going to do that? Well, you could try to do it in the dark, but the appropriate place would be to do it in the light, in the place that has been illuminated with, with light. And, and what John is, is actually saying here, I believe, is that John is saying, if we are to have a relationship with God, we will do it in the arena of His revealed truth. If we want to have an intimate relationship with God, it will happen in this place, this environment, this sphere that is lit up by His truth. If, if we are to relate to God, we will not do it in the darkness of our own way. We will not do it in the darkness of our own sin. 
We will relate to God in the light of his righteousness as it is revealed to us in his word. Well, what, what would that specifically look like uh, in, in, our, in our world, in the places where we are? I think it looks like this. If there is an area of your life where you feel like God is particularly absent, one of the things I think we need to ask ourselves is, is God's light shining there? Have we turned off the light of God's truth in that area of our life? Let me give you an example. Let's say that, that you are in a dating relationship. And in that dating relationship, you feel like, you know what, I feel like God is not really dynamic and present in that relationship. But inside that relationship, you're doing things that you know are contrary to God's Word. You're choosing in that relationship to live in your own darkness and not in Christ's light. You're doing things like maybe you're sleeping together or whatever it might be. You've got these destructive patterns that are contrary to what God says. Well, what this passage would say is it's impossible to have fellowship in your relationship with your boyfriend and God, if you're trying to do that in the darkness of your own sin. If you want intimacy with God in the midst of this relationship, then you need to turn on His light and follow His leading there. We put it this way regarding those of you who are in business. In the business that you work in, in that, in that sphere, if you feel like, you know what, God is just absent from those 50 hours of my week. God is nowhere to be found while I'm doing those things. I think part of the, the question could be, is, is Christ's light on in your business? You know, it's impossible to feel an intimacy with Christ in your business life if you're dealing with dishonesty in the way that you're reporting your taxes and the way that you are relating to your employees and the way that you're relating to your employer and just the general ethics of the way that you're going about things, the way you're relating to those that you work with. If you, are, if you are dealing with those things in the darkness of your own ways and not in the light of God's revealed truth, how can you expect to have fellowship with God in that environment? Put it this way with regards to our families. Now, how is it that we can say that we have, you know, if, if in your family you feel like, you know what, God is just absent within our family life. I feel like there's this, this void and we're not relating to Him and and there's, there's just not a, a dynamic there of our relationship with God. Well, is it possible that, that the light of, of Christ is turned off as it regards to your family? If you're a husband and you're dealing with your wife in, in impatience and in anger and in frustration, or you're dealing with your kids in impatience and anger and frustration, and, and you're doing things your own way, and you're not acknowledging that there's, there's any other way, and those kinds of things, and you look over and you wonder, why is, isn't that God is not showing up in that relationship? Well, it's possible. We've just turned off the light and we're living in our own darkness. You see, John writes to tell us that if we want to have fellowship, intimate connection with the Lord, it will be done so in the light and not in the darkness. It will be done so according to the light of His revealed righteousness, not in the darkness of our own behavior. And and by application, the question really is this. I ask you what I'm asking of myself. Are there, are there venues in our life, are there arenas in our life, spheres within our life where we have turned off Christ's light in order to live in our own darkness? And then we wonder why we don't have intimacy with God in that arena. The application of this is turn on the light. 
dare to turn it on, dare to ask God, what is it that you want in this area of my life? What do you want me to do? What does your word reveal for me to do? What are you leading me to, to trust you with in the midst of this place? When we get to that spot, we are living in the light. and We are in the place where intimacy and fellowship with God can exist. If we say that we have close relationship with God and yet we're doing our own thing, this passage tells us that we're a liar. In what spheres of our life do the light of Christ need to be turned on? That's the first contrast that we see. Fellowship is found in light, not darkness. But the second contrast is found right after that. Fellowship is found in confession and not in perfection. Fellowship is found in confession and not in perfection. We see this from verses 8 to 10 of chapter 1. It says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know, I'm so thankful that when the Holy Spirit inspired John to write down the book of 1 John, that he had him follow the declaration of, if you're not walking in the light, then you have no part of him, you're a liar, all those kinds of things. He follows that immediately with a statement of confession. Because our temptation, when we read verses 5 to 7, is to think that God requires of us, in order for us to have any relationship with Him, perfection. Now, we'll talk about how God makes provision for that later. But what's interesting about this is that God immediately follows up with this statement about fellowship with God and righteousness with a, a, a statement of confession, that what God desires of us is confession. And it's so, so appropriate that He would follow up that way. Because what happens when we live in the light of God's revealed truth? When God's light shines on us, what do we see? Our sinfulness. He is so much greater than us. His ways are so much beyond us. When we see His light shine into our lives, we see our sin. And and what this passage says is, when we see that sin, we don't go, oh no, I have no possibility of ever connecting with God again. It says, no, the appropriate response is not to look for perfection. If we can't find it, then we sell. The response is that if God is, is, is calling this when the light shines upon us and sin is seen, that we drop to our knees and we ask for confession. We, we ask for forgiveness of our sin. Now, when you think about that, you know, John is writing to people who have already trusted Jesus initially. The the readers of 1 John are already Christians. We see that from a number of other passages within the book. So John writes to Christians and he says, you have a need to confess your sin to the Lord. Now, now, now why is that? Why is that? Well, let's let's look at a a diagram. Um, I I shared this diagram with with the Connections class last month when I was teaching in there. Um, but, but one of the things that's interesting about this, this is a diagram that my friend Bob Thune came up with. Um, on this diagram, you see that at the point that we come into a relationship with Christ, that we become aware that God is holy, that He's perfect, that His ways are not like ours, uh, that He's awesome. We also become aware that we are sinful, that we are not like God. We are not perfect. We have all kinds of problems and flaws. 
And, and that gap is bridged by the cross of Christ. It is bridged by the fact that Jesus came while we were still sinners and died for us so that we might have a relationship with God. Now, now what's interesting is that as time goes on, when we enter into a relationship with God like this, as time goes on, what happens? Well, as time goes on, we become increasingly aware. We can go to the next slide. We become increasingly aware of God's holiness. From our perspective, not from reality, but from God's perspective, from our perspective, God becomes increasingly holy. And the more we know of the holiness of God, the more we become aware of our sinfulness. And so for the believer who has walked with God over a number of years, and many of you have done that, isn't this true? Over time, you begin to realize how much more sinful you were than you thought and how much more holy God is than we thought. And the cross of Christ does not get smaller. It actually gets bigger in its importance to us. And so when John writes to believers, he invites them, in light of this truth, to hit their knees and to confess their sin. Not to pretend that it's not there, not to just just wipe it away, but to hit their knees and to confess their sin to the Lord. And by application, my question to you is this. When was the last time that you had a time of confession before the Lord? When was the last time that you just hit your knees in in, in your closet at home, your prayer closet at home, uh, on the side of your bed, in the car as you're driving down the highway? When was the last time you gave God your attention? And, And not just a passing, I'm sorry, but you really confessed your sin to Him. See, in order for us to have an intimate fellowship with the Lord, not just a picture in a scrapbook, but a real intimate relationship with Him, confession, not perfection, is what God desires. That when we become aware of our sin, that we confess that to Him. And when we do, He will forgive us. See, the second reality about fellowship is that it's found in confession and not perfection. But the third reality that we see here is that fellowship is found in His work and not ours. Fellowship is found in His work and not ours. In the second part of chapter 2, verse 1, and then in in verse 2, it says this. It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, in, in those two verses, uh, we see the work of Christ, not, not our work, but the work of Christ highlighted. In order for us to have a close and intimate relationship with the Lord, it requires the work of Christ. And, and specifically, there are two different ministries that Christ has for us that are highlighted here. One is His present ministry. The other is a past ministry. His present ministry that is described for us here is that He is our advocate. He's our defense attorney. He is the one who stands in heaven now, and when we sin, God turns and looks, and Jesus says, no, He's with me. No, He's with me. We have an advocate in heaven who is standing before God, our high priest, Jesus Christ, and He says, no, they're with me. He's standing up for us in heaven. That's part of the work that Christ does for us right now in His risen state in the presence 
of God the Father. But it's more than just the fact that He's standing up for us in heaven. It's also what He did in the past for us. It says in verse 2 that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is not a word that we use very often in English today, but it's a very important word. It's a word that means uh, that the anger of God was satisfied concerning us. The Scripture tells us in the book of Romans that all of us have sinned and the wages of our sin is death. Because we have sinned, God's wrath is against us. God's wrath is against sinners. But when Jesus went to the cross, the perfect and sinless man, when He went to the cross, God poured out His wrath for the sins of of not just John and the apostles, but it says, for the sins of the whole world. The wrath of God concerning sinners was focused upon Christ at the cross and was fully satisfied. See, the work that Christ did for us was not partial, but it was total. He took all of God's wrath, not just most of it. It was fully satisfied when Jesus died on the cross when he died in our place, taking the penalty that your sins and my sins deserved. And when it says that he did it for the whole world, it means it's effective for the whole world. Jesus didn't have to die in installments to pay for more people's sins. That one death from the one sinless life that he lived is sufficient to pay the the penalty and satisfy the wrath for anyone's sins. But it's only effective for those who would trust in him. But Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. See, without His work, we would not have the opportunity to have an intimate fellowship with God. Um, Regardless of how fervent our confession is, regardless of how many tears we cry over the sorrow of what we've done, regardless of how much we promise never to do something again, apart from what Christ has done and is doing, Currently in heaven, our confessions would be null and void. We still would have a responsibility for our sin if Christ had not done His work. I think about it this way. Imagine that you still used uh, checks. You know what those are, the little piece of paper about like this? Um, you write things on them, you give them to the places, they give you goods and services in response. Um, checks. You have a check and you go and you write it and you buy something. Well, when you write that check and when you place it, they accept it under the pretense that that somewhere else in a bank account are the funds sufficient to cover the check that you're writing. And if there's not something back here, that check will bounce and those people will come after you. And what this passage indicates is that our confessions are like checks. We are asking for forgiveness. We're writing a check. Jesus' death dropped a deposit in the account that is sufficient to cover the checks that we write through our confession. Unless we ever think that our right standing before God, that our fellowship with Him is totally dependent upon us, we need to remember that everything we do is a check written with an, that, that goes back to an ultimate deposit. 
See, for us to have a relationship with God, Jesus had to do and has to do his ongoing work. And by application, we just need to ask this question. Has there ever come a time in your life where you have understood that Jesus' death on the cross fully satisfied the wrath that God has for you, and you placed your faith and your trust in him to die in your place? Do you believe that the only way that you could have a relationship with God is through the work of Christ and the deposit that he made? Now, if you're here today and you have never made that step, I would just encourage you to do so. I encourage you to do it today before you even leave, to pray and, and, and welcome in the deposit that Christ made on the cross. And if you have made that decision in your past, as many in this room have, I know, when was the last time you expressed to God how thankful you are for how he has worked? The last time, just as you, we confessed our sin, when was the last time you just said thank you? You know, we sing songs every week that talk about the cross and that talk about forgiveness. When was the last time you, you, you sang those words in your minute? You thought about what you were saying? And maybe it happened this morning. That's awesome. But if not, think about the, the, the thankfulness that we can have expressing what God has done in this deposit through Christ. You see, the third reality we need to look at, contrast, is that fellowship is found with God through His work and not ours. But there's one more I want us to see today in the last few verses of chapter 2, and that's this. Fellowship is found through obedience and not information. Fellowship is found through obedience and not information. We see this in the first part of chapter 2, verse 1, and then verses 3 through 6. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. See, what this, these verses are indicating for us is that depth of fellowship and relationship. Keep in mind, this is a book written to Christians. And so this is, many times people look at these verses that are on the screen right now, and they, they want to make the conclusion that somehow our salvation is dependent upon the fervency of our obedience. But as we've seen, the context is about confession. The context is about the work of Christ on our behalf. The context is not about just us being perfect, because that's impossible. See, but the, but the idea here when he talks about the importance of following commandments is not can we have a relationship with God at all. The question is, can we have an intimate fellowship with God apart from obeying him? Is it possible for us to have intimate fellowship with God apart from obeying him? And this passage would say no. And this somewhat flies against what we think and the way our, our culture and maybe even some of our experience has taught us. Do we want to think that our intimacy with God is about information? You know, regardless of how many podcasts you listen to, regardless of how many books you read, regardless of, of how many sermons you've listened to, how many hours you've spent in church, regardless of how much information that you have about, about Jesus, 
Um, the real intimacy, the people that really have an intimate walk with Christ, don't just have information about Him, but they have responded to that information with obedience. You know, it might be possible through what we know to fool some around us or maybe even fool ourselves, just as I might have tried to fool myself or fool you guys that I had a good friend in town. It's possible for us to try to do that, but this passage would indicate that it is not a real intimacy with the Lord unless the information we have is translated into an obedient following of God. You see, in in our lives, in American evangelicalism today, we get really uh, interested in the decision that we made to initially follow Christ. We get really interested in this decision. And we, we, can, we can look back to it like a picture in a scrapbook and say, look, there was me and there was Jesus at camp, at this meeting, at, at wherever, and, and I made this decision. I threw my stick on the fire. Here is this decision. And, and because of that, don't I have just this really deep, intimate relationship with God 44 years later, even though nothing has happened from there to here? Now, now hear me out on this. It is as simple as trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, to enter into that relationship. It is that simple. It is that basic. It's that childlike faith. It's not on what we've done, it's what He's done. But, but here's the catch. There is no intimacy in your relationship with God that way. There's no intimacy in a relationship that is a picture in a scrapbook, but has meant nothing to you since, other than a story that you like to tell when you're in the circle of people that know Him. See, real intimacy with the Lord is found not just in what we know, but it's found in what we do. Not just in the decision we've made, but in the direction that our life is following. And I challenge you with this today. As as you think and as you uh, begin to apply this passage and reflect on it, I just would ask you this question. Think about your life. Who are you following? Who is the leader in the parade of your life? You following after like an American dream? You following after a family expectation? Are you following after your own carnal desires? Or at the front of the parade, is it Christ? Leading you through your family, leading you through your job, leading you through what, everything that you do. Are, are you following something else or are you following Him? This passage would indicate that intimacy with God, real fellowship with Him is found. Not in darkness, but in light. Not in perfection, but in confession. Not in what we do, but in what He's done, the deposit that is there for us. But ultimately, not in just what we know, but in what we do. As you look at your life, are you following an obedient life to the calling of Christ? Or are you just learning some things? making you smarter. Intimacy comes through obedience. Now, as we've looked at these verses today, we've, we've flown through and looked at them, um, no doubt some of you are going, whoa, 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 what about this? What about that? What about this verse? What about that truth? What about the Holy Spirit? What about the power that God has given us? My, my response to you right now is just, just hang on. We're going to get there. It's a big book, all right? Uh, We're going to see other things as we go through the book of 1 John. But I don't want anything else to temper what God wants to do in our lives through these verses. Reflect on them this week. 
Meditate on him. Think about him. Is your life following him? Not just a decision, not just a photo in a scrapbook, but the direction that he's leading. Let me pray for you. Father, I uh, thank you for the time that you've given us to look into your word together. And I thank you, Father, that as we have done this, we've been challenged. Father, I'm challenged again. I've been challenged in both services. I was challenged in the last several weeks reading these verses. Father, that you are interested in our lives. You, the God of the universe, you want a relationship with us. You don't want just a decision. You want us to be with you. You want intimate fellowship with us. And Father, you've given us this letter in 1 John to help correct some misconceptions we may have had about how exactly that intimate relationship looks. And Father, I pray for everybody here that we would respond in faith. Faith that would trust you and trust the the deposit of Christ's death for the forgiveness of our sins. All the way up through just allowing us to obey and to follow you every day of our lives. Father, you want the best for us. I pray that we would follow you there in a life of obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name.